So we're working through this, uh, this series, and we're going to close her out uh, today. And so has it been a good series for you? Have you enjoyed this idea of pretty ugly people? So we're going to kind of, we're going to polish this thing off today and, uh, and wrap it up. And we're talking about this idea that has resonated, man, in a couple weeks here in a way that I never anticipated it would, about how, how you be pretty to people who are being ugly to you. And um, we, we've just had a lot of conversations about it. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. People have asked me questions and, and have seen posts about it and things like that. And I think we all kind of have landed somewhat in the same spot in this topic, and that is that we're people, okay? And people just don't really do well when other people mistreat them. We just, we just don't do really good with that. And I don't know anybody who really has their arms wrapped around this thing and says, man, I got that all covered, okay? You probably don't. I don't know anybody that really does. We're people, we just don't do really well with that. And, and as I've kind of been, I don't know, that's just kind of been a heavy thing with me the last few weeks. I, I wonder if that's why he put it in here. Because he knew we'd struggle with it. He knew we would need help to do it, to do it right. Because when you live in this world, somebody's going to mistreat you. Remember when we talked about the first week, the, the metaphor of Jesus, the backhand, okay? You will be insulted, okay? You're going to get your feelings hurt. Somebody's going to do you wrong. That will happen. And if left to our own, we just really usually mess that up instead of making it better. And so God places in his word, hey, you're going to deal with this, so, so here's some ways to deal with it. I, re I really think that's why it's such a big deal in the Word of God, because we just don't do real well with it. You, you remember the story about the lady who was uh, flying, she was at the airport, and had a layover, and so you've all been there, and so she was going to be sitting in this gate for a while, so she went in the, the shop and got a magazine, a little pack of cookies, and, and came back and sat down, you know, waiting on the next flight, and there was a, a seat in between her and another man there, and so she's kind of flipping through her magazine a little bit, and to her absolute horror, this stranger, two seats away, that she's never met in all of her life, picked up her pack of cookies. And she thought, what in the world is this guy doing? I can't believe that he's doing that. And she was just like in shock over that. And to make it even worse, while she sat there and tried to check it out from her peripheral vision, what is this guy doing with my cookies? He opened it up and he grabbed one and ate it. And now she is beside herself. She, can't, she doesn't even know what to do about that. And, and she starts thinking in her mind the same thing probably you. I'm not going to let him get away with that. And so she grabbed the pack and pulled a cookie out of it and ate it and just kind of chomped it in his face. And the guy just had no response whatsoever. And then he grabbed the cookie took another one, and this, this cookie-eating contest just kept going until the cookies were gone. And this lady was just, I mean, she was just so gone. She could not believe what just happened to her. They finally got into the plane. She still had not calmed down, shaking, crying, just how in the world did that happen in America? And as luck would have it, they're seated across the aisle from each other. 
And so she's looking at him with disdain. She grabs her purse to get a tissue, and there on top of her purse was her still unopened pack of cookies. She was eating his. <laughs> See, we just don't do well with it, do we, huh? We just don't really respond well. And so God provides this, this teaching for us about this is how Christians, we're gonna hit that today, is how Christians respond in a pretty way to people who are being ugly to you. Now, in my study this week, as I kind of worked through the things we're gonna talk about, there was a thought that kind of bubbled to the surface and that tends to happen for me when I study and do a lot of reading and, and analyzing and praying. Often things come up that I hadn't considered before. And I really think that the essence of the series just kind of bubbled up that when somebody mistreats you and they backhand you, disrespect you, work, home, wherever it happens, that I, that I think it really comes down to this that we have to learn this. Uh, so check this out. The goal is not to win. The goal is the relationship. And isn't that so true? That whenever you find yourself in that setting, there is this thing in us that we think, well, we gotta win, man. We gotta, we gotta come out on top on this thing. We gotta do it my way. They gotta see how wrong they are when it's all over with. I gotta be the one in the driver's seat. And, and that's just kind of the, the drive of human people. And that approach never, ever, ever works, ever. It's, it's throwing fuel on the fire. And so I think what it comes down to it, if God had to say something to us, he would say, winning is not, your, your, that's not your objective. Your objective is the maintenance of a healthy relationship. And so if you just kind of played with that right now, and, and I, I want you to personalize it for a second. I want you to think of the last person that you were sideways with and they were ugly to you. What they did, what they said, I mean, it wasn't right. I want you to think about that for a minute and I want you to apply this. At the end of the day, the goal that God puts in your lap is not that you came out the winner. The goal is that the relationship is still there. And so whenever you look in the word of God about what he tells us, here's how you handle this stuff, it always comes down to that. And so we're finding it out in this section of Romans chapter 12. And my hope is that here at Eastside, if you're one of our people, you've been here regular basis, you now know Romans 12 is one of those places, okay? There's a lot of places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection. 1 Corinthians 13, love. Psalm 23, the shepherd chat. All kinds of places in the Bible that that's the place. Well, Romans 12 is the place for this. And so we've been kind of diving into that text and we've been finding out how God says, now here's how you handle it. Here's what you do, here's what you don't do. And we really have come down to these things. Let's look at them real quick and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna start rocking and roll. Here's how to be pretty when somebody's being ugly. Starts with the mouth, that was the first week. So what you say can make it better or worse. And so make sure what comes out of your mouth builds up and doesn't tear down. That right there, take care of 99% of them, am I right? Huh, come on, am I right? The mouth, that's why God says that's the first thing you do. Then last week we talked about our hands and feet. And our hands and feet 
want to choke them and kick them, right? Huh? Am I the only ornery one in the room? Come on now. And he says, no, we don't retaliate. We don't do revenge. What do we do? Do something nice for them. That's how you handle that. So, so when you've been backhanded, this is what you do. Make sure you're building up with your mouth. Make sure your hands and feet doing something nice. And then today, we wrap it up with the last bit of counsel God has to give to us. And you're not going to like it, okay? You're not going to like it. It deals with your, there it is, attitude. That your attitude towards someone who has a bad attitude toward you is crucial. And so God begins to explain how he desires us to do it. Now, as you look at those things real quick, here's something to remember. I've talked about it every week. The world is not going to tell you to respond that way. None of that you're gonna hear from an ungodly culture. You're not gonna hear it. In fact, if you were to tell people maybe that you work with or maybe somebody that you're a friend of and they don't know Jesus and you're saying, well, here's how I'm gonna handle it. I'm gonna build them up, I'm gonna take them a piece of pie and I'm gonna smile at them every time. They're gonna say, you are crazy. But we don't get our marching orders from the world. Is that right? That's not where we get our marching orders. And I want you to know also that the person who's been ugly to you, that's not what they're going to do either. They're not going to do that because they're the one that started this whole thing. See, the deal is that the way Christians respond to almost every circumstance of life, everyone is different from everybody else. And so Romans 12 makes that clear in how we are pretty when other people are ugly. Now, let's jump into the attitude issue. I want to read two verses from the book of Romans in this section we've been looking at. And we're going to see how God wants to shape our attitude toward other people when they have mistreated us. Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 15 and 16 in these two verses. It goes like this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. And do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, in those two verses, as we begin to unpack them and find out what's in there, after I went through as best I could to try to figure out what they mean and why he wrote them and did everything that I'm capable of understanding it, I walked away from my study with some takeaways that I think come from this passage. And these are takeaways about things that deal with your attitude, about how you express your attitude when you are hurt by somebody. And so I'm gonna share with you my takeaways. And I wrote them down, I've been... I've been um, agonizing on them all week long, but I really, really want to try to make these happen in my life as much as I can. I'm going to invite you to do it. Here's the first one, is I want to encourage you and me to learn to take advantage of emotional opportunities. And you're going to see what that means here in a minute, because we're talking again about what do you do when somebody's done you wrong. Well, I would say this, well, take advantage of emotional opportunities. So what does that mean? Now check this out, I wanna share share something with you. 
I, I did a kind of a brief, but I think really cool study on Jesus the other day that I want you to hear about. I took the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I read through them briefly, just real quick, and I paid attention to all the times that Jesus was with people. And what I found out is that almost all of his experiences with people, don't miss this, this is really big, were people coming to him. They approached him. They had a need, they had a problem, they had a question, and they flocked to Jesus. And just pay attention to that. Whenever you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, watch how many times that happened. And you can actually read it in the words. They came to him. He came to her. So people approached him. They initiated it. But then there are those few times where it switches. And that's what I want you to watch. Because there are times in which Jesus went to them where he approached someone. And if you were to take the time to kind of read through some of those things and write them down, you would find out, and I found this out of my study, that when Jesus approached somebody, when he was the initiator, it was almost always in a very high emotional celebration or a very low emotional agony. Jesus looked for people who were up high or down low emotionally. He found out, this is critical, he found out that he could have the greatest impact at those two arenas of life. And so a lot of times he would approach situations where it was really, really bad. He went to see Peter's mother-in-law who was dying from a high fever. There's another time where he went to a paralytic that nobody would help him. Another time a person had a shriveled hand, wasn't able to use it. And all those, Jesus saw them and he went to them. But it wasn't all bad stuff. He went to weddings. The very first story John tells us about Jesus. He went to a wedding. He went to dinner parties all the time at people's homes where they gathered together and they ate and they had fun. And that's why Victoria told you next week we're starting a series called Burgers with Jesus. Jesus loved to eat. Can my fat brothers and sisters say amen to that? Huh? He loved to eat. And so here's the thing about him that it's a fascinating thing to me that Jesus knew that he could have the greatest impact on people who were emotionally high or emotionally low. That's an incredible thought. Now, with that in mind, we go to this text. And this text is talking about our attitudes toward people when they do us wrong. And in the text, we have these words, we read them, put them up there again. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now there are people who say that this is just a description of what it's like to be in the church and have Christian friends. That's just describing what it's like to be us, man. We're, we're happy when people are happy and we're, we're really helping them when they're down. But I think it's way more than that. 
because it's put into the context of difficult relationships. What Paul is telling us is what Jesus knew, that you can have great impact when people are up or when they're down. So pay attention to when that happens to the lives of people who are being ugly to you. Now, have you realized yet that we are a lot better at mourning with people who mourn than we are rejoicing with people who rejoice? We're good at the mourning thing. We're not real good at the rejoicing thing. So somebody has a death in their family, man, we're mourning with them, we're at the funeral home, we're sending cards, we're getting them some food, we're with them. But your neighbor tells you in mid-January when it's three degrees outside, hey, I want a free trip to Hawaii, me and my wife are flying out tomorrow. Under your breath you go, I hope it rains on you every day, huh? Because to rejoice with somebody who rejoices, huh? If you're a parent, okay? I remember we've had this happen before. One of our friends would say, oh, my little Johnny won a student of the week again. It's third time this year. And my kid's been in detention since fifth grade, okay? So, so you say, well, yeah, you might be smart, but he's a dork, okay? He looks like a dork. Because we have a hard time rejoicing with people who rejoice. I wanna challenge you to do this. This is a fascinating concept that God placed in his word. Not how you win, we're not concerned about winning. We're concerned about maintaining the relationship. So when you're a offender, when the one who insults you, the one who did you wrong, when they're up, make sure you celebrate that with them. And when they're down, make sure you mourn with them. Why would I do that? Because your goal is not to win. Your goal is the relationship. And watch what happens when you do that. It was a cold night in January 1973, and one of our nation's senators, John Stennis, Senator Stennis from Mississippi, had left Capitol Hill that night in January. You imagine it was freezing in D.C. He got into his car. He was driving to his house that he had there in D.C., been a senator for a long, long time. Drove to his house, got out of his car, there was a thug in his driveway waiting on him, put two bullets in him, one in his leg, one by his stomach and his lung. He immediately went to the hospital where doctors at Walter Reed Medical Center were striving to save his life. News began to go out immediately. You can imagine how it would today, but in that day it was on the radio and everything. There was another senator going home that night. That senator got into his car, Mark Hatfield from Oregon. Hatfield and Stennis were staunch enemies. They were different political parties. They stood different on most issues. They were known as two bulldogs at each other's throat the whole time. Hatfield's driving home, hears about his competing comrade, and Hatfield turns around. He drives to Walter Reed medical center. He goes in, tells them who he is, says, I don't know what I can do, but I want to do something. And a hospital administrator asked him, could you take care of a, a phone switch line because the phones are going crazy. And he said, yeah, I've used the phone before. And he sat down and he stayed all night into the next morning and the next day answering phones until his enemy was stable. I can't imagine that happening with any of our politicians today. 
But can you imagine what happened to the relationship there? So Dave, what does the word of God tell me to do with my attitude, with my heart, with my insides, when I'm just, I just, I'm tired of what they're doing to me, then, then here's the challenge. Watch for when they're up and congratulate them. And watch when they're down and be there to hurt with them. And you watch what happens to the relationship. Now, if that's not a big enough takeaway, let me show you another one. Another takeaway that I found in the text that was really fascinating to me, and I've worded it this way, understand their side of the story. Try to find out what they're thinking and why they are at the position that they're in. Now, of all the things that we've talked about this, this whole series, these three weeks, I honestly believe that this right here is the single most powerful thing in all of Romans 12. But you gotta get down into the weeds to see it, and it just fascinates me that God even put it in his word. Now, where we get it from is this sentence, and stay with me, okay, if you're sleepy, <laughs> you're not gonna get this, so hang with me. But there is this sentence we read, live in harmony with one another. And man, that looks really easy, simple, to the point. Everybody can understand what that means. Sounds a little bit like part of the verse we looked at last week. Live at peace with all people, okay? Just get along is what that verse says. But here's the problem with it. Got to be a thinker with me, okay? Anybody thinking with me right now? Okay, okay, I got a few brains connected here. The problem with that is when you, we look at different translations of the Bible, they are radically different in how they translate that. One version says, be friendly with everyone. Well, what is it? Be friendly with everyone or live in harmony? What, what is it? One version says, have the same respect for one another. What is it? Friendly, respect, what is it? Another version says, have full sympathy with one another. And, and you just, bottom line, we don't really know what this verse says. Because there are times, and this happens in the Bible, I hate, I hate to say this, but there are times in the Bible where we're translating one language to another and it's, it's, just, it's just difficult to figure out exactly what the original author meant and this is one of those sentences. And so we've got people kinda all over the place trying to figure out what this means and translating it different ways. Let me tell you what I think it means and my opinion on it is no better than anybody else's but I, 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 I've thought through this. The literal thing that he wrote was this. And, and this is important because this is exactly the words that he used. He said, think the same thing as one another. That's what he wrote. Think the same thing as one another. Now that, that's, that seems to mean that if, that if I've got something not going right with Billy, that my responsibility is to kinda, me and Billy get to where we're thinking the same thing, okay? Well, the reason Billy and I are ready to kill each other is because we haven't been able to do that. That's not what that means. The more I've thought about it, it's not talking about everybody agreeing, okay, 
We, we want to agree because we want to win. If you put this in the context of the paragraph about what do you do when somebody's being ugly to you, I believe the emphasis is this, and I, I, I beg of you to catch this. I'm, I'm fascinated it's in the Bible. I think the emphasis is to hear the other person out. To explain to them, I wanna know what you're thinking. I wanna, I wanna know your angle on this. I wanna listen to you, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. I, I want you to help me understand that and see it. Stephen Covey, the leadership guru of the 80s and 90s called this empathetic listening. Empathetic listening is when you hear somebody else out. Now, we've got all kinds of different kinds of listening that is not empathetic listening, okay? Um, there's a thing called selective listening. We hear the parts that we wanna hear. Us husbands are spiritually gifted with that, okay? There's not a thing we can do about it. There's also something called patient listening. And some people have that problem. I've got that problem. Patient listening, that sounds really good, doesn't it? No, patient listening is you're just waiting on the other person to stop talking so you can give them the business, okay? Stephen Covey used to say that those people listen with the intent to speak, that most people are either speaking or preparing to speak. That's not listening. That's not empathetic listening. Empathetic listening is when you ask the other person, tell me what you're thinking, tell me your angle on this thing, and they talk, and then you go like this. Ah. Now, I understand you. Now that does not mean you agree with them. That doesn't mean that at all. It means that you understand them. You cared enough to listen to their perspective on this. And that has an incredibly powerful effect on people that you care enough to hear their angle on this. And you know why we don't wanna hear their angle? Because we wanna win. And the object is not to win, the object is the relationship. So tell me, what is happening for you to do what you did or think what you think? I, I wrote this um, this week, and I remembered a time where somebody loved me enough that they did that for me because I was being the ugly guy. I was in college and started college, and uh, it, it had a powerful effect on me. I had a required class that I had to take. It had nothing to do with my, um, my degree which that's kind of a, goes down my spine with the education that we gotta pay money for classes that we don't. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just kind of jumped out there. But I remember even when I was a young kid, I hated, I gotta go to this class, it has nothing to do with what I'm gonna do, and I didn't like the class, I didn't like the subject, I didn't, didn't really care too much for the, the professor. Classes were 50 minutes long where I went, and at 50 minutes, man, I'm done. I closed my book, I can't wait to get out of here. And they didn't have, you know, bells in college, okay? Which is kind of interesting because the professor's name was Dr. Horn, so he could have just blew a horn, I guess. But, but generally, 
at the 50 minute mark, you, you weren't done. You were done when he was done. And, and so he, generally he'd have a few more things to go. It might go 55 minutes, 60 minutes, and I would shut my book and I would just, I'd just have the attitude on my face. Same thing you all do when we hit about 30 minutes here, okay? I can see y'all. All right, I know, I know. And so I just had an attitude about it and you could tell it, man. It just emanated all around me. And finally I got so tired of it that at 50 minutes, man, I just stood out and I was gone. I mean, total inappropriate I mean, you're real proud of your preacher right now, aren't you? And so I remember the dad came to class and Dr. Horn said, hey, Dave, would you stick around after class for just a minute, I wanna chat with you? And so I went up to him and said, yeah, man, what's up? And he said, um, he said, man, you okay? I remember that conversation up on his table. I mean, it was a long time ago. And I remember him looking at me and saying, man, man, you okay? And I said, Dr. Horn, I, I don't like this subject. I don't even know why I have to take it. And he said, yeah, not everyone likes the class, Dave. They don't. And he goes, but man, it seems to me that maybe something more is going on. Are, are you okay, man? And I'm about 19 or 20 then, and, and I just, it just kind of all exploded out. And I said, Dr. Horn, I'm, I'm taking more classes than I can handle, man. I just burdened me. I don't know how I'm gonna get everything done. And, and I, I got all excited about being a preacher and, they hired me at this uh, little country church. I'm a part-time preacher there. I preach. I take care of the youth group. And I got a girlfriend. And, man, I'm just, it's just more. And I don't know how I'm ever going to catch up. And, and I'm just pouring it out. And he puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, man, I didn't know. He goes, man, if I can, if I can help with your schedule or something, or if we can do something to help at the church, man, we're here for you. He said, but Dave... You, you gotta stay in class until I'm done. And I never had an attitude in that class ever again, and I never left until he was done because he heard me out. See, it, it, it blows me away that something this deep and this important that God knew enough about it to put it in his word when we're in conflict with other people. Now I'm gonna show you one more take away and we're going to be brief with it and be done because I've heard the, hit the 30 and I know some of y'all attitudes are. <clears throat> so let me, let me show you this last one. Value their position in your life. And I want you to key in on the word value, that you value at what level you allow them to be in your life because value the higher the value, the different we treat people. Have you, have you, ever, you ever thought about that? The things that we value get different treatment? I remember reading one time about this high school basketball game and one of the kids under the basket, there was a collision and his contact popped out and the refs called timeout, and they're all looking for this contact. All the players are on their knees, and the refs, and the coaches, and it's just going on. It's, I mean, it's like, okay, we gotta move on. Sorry, kid, can't find your contact. And they're about done with it, and this lady up in the stand starts marching down off the, you know, coming down, bum, 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 comes, up, comes all the way down the floor, reaches down, and picks the contact up. It was the kid's mom. And the kid said, Mom, how'd you find it? 
is, well, y'all looking for plastic lens, I was looking for 150 bucks, okay? So when, when it values, okay, changes, doesn't it, okay? Now watch what happens in the text. Watch what happens because God brings this up. At the end of the 16th verse, this section of attitude, he says this, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. When someone is ugly to us, their value immediately goes down. We dismiss them. I remember having a guy tell me one time that he, he lived his life like a ladder and everybody was on a rung of the ladder and when you did him wrong, you went down a rung on the ladder. Your value goes down. And what Paul says is that is the opposite that has to happen. And so his, his metaphors here deal with full and high and low. Don't become full of yourselves. Don't think highly of yourselves. Don't lower the other person. Here, here's what he's saying. Give greater value to the person than the problem. And so if there's something for you to take home and say, that's what I, I, I really want to try, it's, it's that, that sentence to give greater value to the person than the problem. And watch what happens when your value for them is high. I, I didn't know that this teaching series would be as relevant when we planned it out. Uh, on the first week of the series... The terrorist group Hamas invades Israel and murders hundreds of innocent people. And now in the last week of the series, a deranged gunman in Lewistown, Maine, goes on a shooting spree and dozens of families will never, ever, ever be the same. And that was the start and the end of the series. And then packed in the middle are all the things that are not going to be on CNN. They're not going to be talked about on Fox News. It's the stuff that happens at your work and my work and your home and my home. And maybe even our church. And so whether it's a worldwide tragedy or whether it's a bump in the road between a parent and a teenager, it's the same issue. Somebody has placed themselves and their feelings and their wants and their opinions higher than other people. And Christians don't do that. Now, they may, but that's not what we do. One of the Bible study techniques that I, I hope I've taught through the years, and we, we talk about it at Eastside quite a bit, is the, um, the intention of noticing what is called parallel passages because there's many of them in the Bible. You might be reading about something in the Bible and another person, or maybe the same person, wrote about the same thing in a similar way to another group of people somewhere. That's called a parallel passage. And when you have parallel passages, it emphasizes how important it is to God that he talked about it more than just once. And so Romans 12 has a direct parallel passage in Philippians 2. 
And so if you happen to go to Philippians 2 and start reading it, you're going to think, oh, I, I, isn't that what I just read in Romans 12? So let me read for you a couple verses in Philippians 2 and see if it sounds familiar to you that was written by the same guy, Paul. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. And then I want you to see verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then the rest of the chapter, Paul reminds us that he left heaven to come here and place himself under us by dying on a cross. And so Paul said, that's the attitude we have when people backhand us. Somehow, somehow our world has to learn that. And I don't think that it ever will. And somehow troubled people have to learn that. But we just don't seem to be able to figure out how to help them. So how about we Christians lead the way, huh? How about when people are ugly to us believers that we be pretty to them? How about we show the world how to do that? I think that has always been the plan of God. Not that the world would change or, or mentally ill people would change, but that we would be the model of that. How about we do that here, right here? How about me and you? In our homes, in our workplaces, and our associations with people, how about we do that? And who knows? Maybe if we do it good enough and long enough that somebody will see it and somebody will learn. That sounds to me like a prayer point here. And the more I thought about that, I said, man, that's the things we pray about here. And so tonight, I want us to walk out of here ending with another one of our prayer points. And if you've not been at a prayer point yet, a prayer point are these things we're gonna do at Eastside from time, where we are gonna boldly lay before the Father a powerful prayer and beg him to answer it. And we're gonna boldly communicate it to him right here in this room. We'll all be a part of it. Every one of us will be a part of it. And the challenge is that we will pray about it on our own for the next week. Every time you think about this, you pray about it. It's a prayer point. And I wanna introduce a prayer point that I'm gonna ask us to do today. I wanna to put it up on the screen. I wanna talk about it for a minute. We're gonna do it. The prayer point that I wanna talk about is this, that when we feel the impulse to hurt and hate, that God, would you give us the power to serve and love? Because this is who we are. This is who people are. And God, the only way we can do this is if you give us the power. And we're gonna pray about that. 
We're gonna boldly pray about that as a family of God. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about where you work. We're talking about your home. We're talking about here. And we are gonna lay this before the Father and ask him to empower us every time we get at that point. And so I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. We're gonna do it together. And when I start to pray, we're gonna do what we, what we do. We're gonna raise a hand and we're gonna do it just like this. So we're offering the prayer to the Father. And we're gonna do that in a minute. And if you're physically able, that's what we're gonna, we're gonna lay this in his lap. Would you do this for us, Father? Now, I, I don't know if there's anybody in the room that needs to do this. I want you to feel free to do that. You might be in the thick of this right now and you need like double power. If you need to get up here in the front and just bow down on these steps and stay here for as long, I want you to feel free to do that. And so we're gonna lift our hands right now. If anybody wants to come up, you can. And I'm gonna pray. Let's do this. Father God, I come before you right now and I confess to you, to anyone in this room who's anything like me, that we're not very good at what you've asked us to do here. And so Lord, I pray that right now there will be an empowerment that will happen within us that can come only from you. And when we find ourselves in those situations where how do we respond to this person when they did what they did, what do we do? I'm praying, Lord, we are praying as a family right now. We're picking this up, God, we're laying it in your lap that when those moments happen to any one of us, that there is a power from the Holy Spirit that engulfs us and allows us, Lord, empowers us to serve and love rather than to hate and hurt. Would you do that for us, Lord? Because I think the only way it happens is with divine help. Without that divine help, God, I can't do it. And I know there are people who can't do it. And so would you answer that prayer? All week long, Lord, we're gonna pray this. You're gonna hear many of us say it briefly when we're driving down a road or when we're going to bed at night or in a quiet moment with you. You're gonna hear this over and over and over and over in the next seven days. And I'm praying, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you out of your mercy and grace that you would give it attention and you would answer it. And there would be relationships that would be made normal again because we chose winning was not the objective. To reflect you is to maintain the relationship. And we pray that today as a body of believers who love you with all of our heart, knowing that you will answer this in faith. And we pray it today in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Would you give it up for the power of the word of God? All right.